This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. You're listening to Femi on Fubar Radio. If people think somehow there's another negotiation to be done, that's not the case. This is uh, the deal. It's the result of what has been tough and difficult negotiations uh, over a significant period of time. And as has been said, this is the deal that is on the table. This is the best possible deal. It's the only possible deal. The Prime Minister insists that her government will be able to negotiate every aspect of the UK's future trade relationship with Europe within the space of two years. We've had two and a half years since the referendum. So far, 20 of our own ministers have resigned. This is the most shambolic government in living memory. One, we want to deal with protect jobs and the economy. That's our overall objective. If we can't get that, yes, a general election. If we can't get the general election, we've kept all the options on the table. That includes a people's vote. Evidence from surveys and other UK authorities suggests that the country is not yet fully prepared for a cliff-edge Brexit. Unfortunately, Mark Carney is a second-tier Canadian politician. Having failed in Canadian politics, he's got a job in the UK, which he isn't doing well. UKIP is now tempted, or some people in UKIP are tempted, to let figures like Tommy Robinson into the party, and I think that would be a catastrophic mistake. So I will take this deal back to the House of Commons confident we have achieved the best deal available and full of optimism about the future of our country. In Parliament and beyond it, I will make the case for this deal with all my heart and I look forward to that campaign. Welcome back to The Floor is Yours. You're here with Femi and I'm joined by Jolyon Rubs, Hayden Prowse and we're, later we're going to be discussing uh, online propaganda, mental health, and all the fun issues relating to what's been happening in the news recently. So, for example, uh, we have a withdrawal agreement that everybody hates regarding Brexit. We have the entire cabinet in chaos. Um, there's a possibility that we might get a, a TV debate between Jeremy Corbyn and, and uh, Theresa May on uh, Brexit, which is kind of fun, interesting. Yeah, really it's fun. No one will watch it because it's on at the same time as the uh, I'm, I'm a Celebrity, celebrity final. Yeah. So that just sort of shows you the nature of where we're at, really. Would you prefer to watch the I'm Celebrity final, <laughs> Harry Redknapp against someone else, yes. or, or watch Theresa May talk absolute fucking bollocks? <laughs> Theresa May talk that, bollocks. <laughs> that's Julian Rubenstein and Hazen Prowser. Um, so quite simply, uh, the, the thing is, they've actually agreed to be on um, the, the TV debates, but I think Terry, Theresa May agreed to be on the, DB, on the BBC and Jeremy Corbyn agreed to be on ITV. Is that right? But what's the point of having a debate between two people who basically have the same position? So I don't know, not only are they talking at cross purposes, they're talking mm. on different channels. Yeah. So it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. literally perfect for the entire way this debate is. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a way to avoid confrontation if yeah, they're on yeah, different yeah. airwaves. Yeah. I think that there is such a lack of debate within the higher echelons of our, our, our two governing parties, whilst there is the most simmering vociferous debate that's ever taken place you know below often you know started by yourself mm. or, or Nigel Farage or, you know on the right mm. um, and when you hear John McDonald for instance talk about you know the, the possibility of a second vote you've got to wonder you know the political capital that could be gained through you know just that simple transaction of allowing people uh, their their right to have a second referendum because you know what really pisses me off right what is that in Switzerland oh, yeah. where there are referendums all the time yeah. there are referenda on re- 
referendum. Mm. It's oh, not oh unusual. No. Referendum on referendum. I mean, that sounds exciting. <laughs> I wish I lived there. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling aroused. To be fair, that's probably Femi's p- favourite place to live in the world. Yeah. Yeah. There's a referendum constantly. Constant <laughs> sea of referendum. Over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but hold on a second, Femi. Yeah. So do you think... All right, so given that John McDonald has said this, does, how does that change your or, or reaffirm your opinions on, on, on Labour? Will you be voting Labour now if there was a if there was a if you had the opportunity? I don't know. I mean, I've, fan? I've always seen myself as Labour, but as in they've completely screwed up this entire whole Brexit debate. Yeah. So, but if they manage to pull out the bag at the last minute, yeah. I, mean, I, it's the I, perfect get, time I guess paint it. me red. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What literally? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I, I think that's kind of what they like. Redding up. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never experienced that. Uh, I, I think I, 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 I had an interesting um, uh, point on Newsnight the other night. Mm. Uh, you know, when they had this supposedly fake vicar oh, yeah. on, on yeah. Newsnight, yeah. <laughs> which can I just say is absolute bollocks. She's just a vicar that happened to be an extra in a couple of things. BBC yeah. Andrew Adonis, <laughs> fake, for Andrew oh. fake news Adonis. Anyway, so there was a guy on that show that was making a point, mm. and it hit it hit me um, that I had been well, a bit too. I'd been a bit too. You know, I, I was on the sort of second referendum bandwagon, yeah. and he was saying it's it feels so undermining for you guys to be saying that we didn't understand the implications of of a, of a, of a Brexit. You know, all that the Remain side did was warn about the chaos that would happen if we had Brexit. Mm. So to now turn around and say, we didn't realise the chaos that would happen if we had Brexit, is kind of undermining the point that they're making in the first place. And, and people like him are saying, we knew, we understood that, but we still want to go out. And for you guys to say second referendum kind of, you know, well, I mean, makes us feel like... Okay, well, first, first of all, if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm Femi, I'm from Our Future, our choice <laughs> youth men for people Sorry. as well. <laughs> and I'm, I'm here joined with uh, John, John Ribbenstein and Hayden Prowser. Now, they're, they're, they're two awesome guys who I've met before. I've been on, um, uh, <laughs> we, we need to talk about uh, before on the podcast. And they actually have a new show, uh, which is coming out tonight on Channel 4. Uh, the Ministry of Justice, at which PM. is at 11 p.m., <laughs> and it's I'm pretty excited because you guys are going to be basically going underground in the in the crime world. We are. We're literally becoming uh, uh, the sort of vigilante justice that nobody needed. Yes, uh, nice. and and you know, <laughs> as as Hayden said to me the other day, you know, at a time of sweeping police cuts mm. where budgets are being slashed, mm. it's 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 so great that two middle-class white idiots uh, have been sent <laughs> yeah. to sort the problem out. You didn't ask for this, you didn't need this, but I, it's happening anyway. You got it. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're the heroes we actually need. But yeah, who yeah, could possibly not want two middle-class white men heroes called Jollyon and Hayden? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who possibly in their wokest state, uh, in this time of diversity and, and moving you know, female perspectives up, couldn't want two yes. loud, brash, privately educated white men? <laughs> Uh, just coming in and, and, and basically doing sod all. Well, yeah. well, I mean, you are a minority after all, so... Well, there's not many Jollians. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, as members as of, of the one, Jollian. As members of the 1%, we are actually the smallest minority in the country. Precisely. Yeah. You're yeah, an yeah, endangered yeah. species, we pretty are. much. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you say that, but actually one of... The, so what we've done, Femi, mm. is we've sort of decided that we are going to look at the state of the nation. But politics is too ridiculous to satirise anymore, mm. so we decided to look at criminality. Yeah. And we've got three 
hour-long films, basically, uh, which is new for us because mm. we used to do kind of half an hour yep. sort of sketch shows. And what we do is we look at the nature of certain problems. So we look at, uh, in this episode, drugs. Drugs. Uh, and later on, uh, we... Drugs, a subject which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very interested in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, although they're never inhaled. Of course. Um, and, uh, and then... Uh, we look at the arms trade and, well, weapons, really. We look at good and bad weapons, and we're very confused because, you see, there are good weapons mm-hmm. like government-sanctioned and issued tanks, bombs, and yeah. fighter jets, which we sell to really great places. Yeah, like Saudi or, Arabia and, and that lot. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, places literally on our own uh, 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 sort of... Terrorist um, um, watch list. Terrorist watch list. I yeah. mean, well, I mean... Listen, as Boris Johnson said, you know, if we didn't do it, someone else would do it. So we make a huge amount of money. For it. And we're very confused because, you know, there are obviously these good weapons and then there are bad weapons, mm. like mm. knives on the street that the youth, mm. the youth are using. So they're bad, right? They're, so they're bad. Uh, they're, what, they're the bad ones. But these ones are good. Which okay. ones are good? Well, this is the thing is, what is a good weapon or a bad well, weapon? Well, well, well clearly, clearly knives in the hands of young, young, black, young black people in this country are, are bad. Yes, right. that's well, it. Whereas if it's um, weapons that we're selling that are blowing up schools and hospitals in Yemen, those are good. That's well, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, okay. I think so. Okay. 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 I, mean, yeah. I don't think you're understanding, Femi, the, the simple tax revenue mm. and the jobs that are created yeah. from um, mm. literally decimating churches and schools and houses with our own bombs. Mm. But, right, I mean, Hade? I mean, this is great. Yeah. But there's money to be made there. I mean, we, exactly. should, we should probably start leaning into human trafficking as well, given well, that there's money to be made there well, as well. what we do, mm. see, Femi, is we realise that what we really need to do, as I've said, is talk to the youths. Uh, mm. So we make uh, a children's book mm. called Nikki the Naughty Knife, who dreams of growing up to be a government-sanctioned uh, weapon or tank. Uh, and we go and we talk to some of... Uh, we're not, we're not going to say... We're not at liberty to say which arms manufacturer, <laughs> but a very, very big fucking arms manufacturer. Yep. And we try and get them to sign off on it, and then we go and speak to the government about it. Hayden had a... You had a lovely trip, didn't you, to mm. an arms <clears> fair, Hayden? Yeah, we went to the arms fair to research characters for the children's book. You know how Cars is the uh, Pixar film yeah, about, yeah. about cars for yeah. kids? We just thought we could do that for bombs, tanks, and laser-guided <laughs> missiles. You know, like a cute ballistic. Being like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a flying over to Saudi Arabia. I'm the top of the bombs and the Yemeni children. <laughs> and obviously that's something kids would engage with. Yeah. Um, Did you find any gay bombs? Or Yeah, we tried to cast some, some gay, some BAME, some, some gender non-binary bombs bombs as mm. well because obviously mm. we're very progressive for yep. thinking children's book exactly um, yeah I didn't know as well that a lot of tombstone missiles are actually quite bright curious they are mm. yeah, yeah specifically tombstone mm. how did you where did you read about that in? Uh, I, well I, I was really uh, I, I, I just watched you you, uh, had a, you had a fling with a tombstone once I you? did yeah, yeah, yeah I mean I'm really more into Back sort in your of bi-curious. Euro fighters you yes. know those kind of sort of really super expensive sort of vertical know, if they're super you, cool those do things do you know what the weirdest thing at that, mm. at that arms fair was right there was a arms company, which I shall not name, mm. uh, which had these drones. Basically, drones was the so big mental. thing at this year's arms well, fair. They're right? just hot. They're just hot. Yeah. Drones are, are very like. <laughs> drones are so hot right now. <laughs> there were drone tanks. There were tiny drones that could like go through fucking windows and shit like that, just okay. like in Black Mirror. There were all these weird drones, and people were sort of sitting there with their champagne, watching mm. these sort of you know demonstrations of, of drone warfare. Mm. Like not realizing they're in a scene from Terminator. Do you know it's what the really, most bizarre. Yeah, because yeah. we do. The great thing about doing our show mm. is we get to work with a lot of really exciting uh, journalists and um, sort of our, our researchers, our, associate, our assistant producers, who are really the stars of the show. They do so much 
work. And one of the things they found that just blew my fucking mind mm. is how many of these arms companies basically take like really popular YouTubers, often YouTubers who are really successful with kids, yeah. and they bring them into schools mm. and they show them these co- this cool possible um, uh, profession that you can what do. What seems healthy. Arms trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. The amazing thing also about the Brexiteers who are deeply involved in a lot of this is that really, I'm sure like you, most people who, who, who are not thick mm. understand that a lot of these self-serving politicians want to burn regulation, burn red tape and enable us, for instance, to, you know, f- with the arms trade, for instance, to sell to everyone. But, I mean, everyone who's currently banned and there aren't many, to be fair, but just make sure we can sell them to them but, as well. But, but it makes sense. The people who are saying that we should leave the EU with no deal, meaning that the only deals we currently have will be the arms trade deals mm. that will be left over once we leave the EU, meaning that we will lean more heavily into the industries that result in, you know, bombing schools and hospitals. Well, totally. And the thing is There's that these guys fantastic, are so clever. Um, show on BBC right now called The Foreign Office I don't know if you've seen it oh it's brilliant it's like the thick of it it's absolutely hilarious and there's this brilliant moment where this guy's in Mongolia this sort of, yeah. sort, of sort of rather sort of average businessman he's decided <laughs> to travel to Mongolia to profit off the sort of pollution there which is some of the worst in the world okay. all, and, and he's created these little masks and it's just I mean that's our kind of future isn't it it's like selling masks to the Mongolians because their pollution levels are so high do you know what I do think Brexit. it's 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 it's, it's, uh, it's sort of a bizarre reality um, that's sort of painted there. I don't, I don't, you know, underestimate the amount of amazing work that goes on by these civil servants. Obviously, you know, depoliticised, wanting to do, you know, what they can for mm. the government at the time. One of the things as well uh, that's been really interesting about doing our show this time is. Uh, as I said, you know, there's one episode tonight which is on drugs. Then, you know, we look at the arms trade and, and good bad weapons. And then we look at the 1% and white collar crime. Mm. And it is staggering some of the people who we've come into contact with this time. I mean, if you've seen, well, I'm just going to say that we have CEOs of some of the largest corporations in the world on camera mm-hmm. talking to us at Davos, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to back our amazing initiative, which is called Standing Tall Against Regressive Corporate Hatred, or yes. Starch. Yes. Because what we realise is, as, as Hayden said earlier, you know, obviously hashtag Black Lives Matter, mm. but you know, for Starch, mm. uh, hashtag White Collars Matter. Yeah. Yes. And we yeah. try to make it a hate crime to uh, outlaw words like banker wanker. And fat cat. Uh, I mean, cat. people say the word fat cat with impunity. I know. We, it know. has to stop. It's, it has divi- to it's stop. tearing our society it's apart. Making so, some people very sad. So what we do is we create our own sort of fake news. Mm. We hire some actors and, and we sort of film some fake hate crimes. Mm. Uh, and then we go to Davos to recruit a spokesman for our organisation. In the trailer, you can see that we finally met. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Tony Blair. Oh, wait. I've heard of him. Mm, I've yeah. heard of him. Um, mm. he's he likes guy. war. Yeah, he does. But also, <laughs> he likes, he likes money <laughs> as well. And, and it's amazing because we get to meet him. But genuinely, it was insane because we were walking around. I mean, how would you even describe it? We walking around this Swiss uh, 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 ski resort with more armed security over there with CEOs a hoot. I mean, all, literally all over a the hoot. streets. Mm. I don't know. That makes no sense. CEOs it's a hoot. hoot. <laughs> it's a wash. That's CEO, what I was thinking. CEOs ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we really were talking to all of this. And I'm not going to say which country, but a president uh, of, of, of one country. Mm. And we say, you know, have you heard about, you know, standing tall against... Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> and, I, and I totally agree with it. And mm. it's, it's bloody good. Yeah. You spoke to some pretty major... I mean, we can't really say who they are because mm. we want you to see it. But listen, I mean, if you've seen our stuff before, I think this takes it onto a whole different Davos level. But you've also got a thing... To, I think tonight's episode, you have was it, a designated mugging area? Mm. Yeah. 
That sounds Makes pretty sense. That sounds like you've just basically found a really, really complicated way to create your own fight club. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. if you're going to get mugged, you <laughs> may as well do it in a safe environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but although you've kind of broken some of the rules by putting it on TV, but I think that should be quite fun anyway. Well, uh, one, can I just say, just give a big, big shout out to uh, my man Ali Official. We've got some <laughs> incredible new talent in uh, in in this show. Mm. Uh, he's he's massive online. Like he's got huge Instagram following. He's a very very funny man. As well as who are some of the other people? We got amazing girl. You know, Julia. Um, um, Bell, um, KG um, the comedians KG on there the who've been working with for years. Um, He's brilliant. Uh, Jesse Lou Pants, who's just an absolute ledge. Uh, uh, Jack, oh Jack, oh my God, Jack Carroll is brilliant. He so does funny. a hilarious sketch on disabled parking. Yeah, and we we're so lucky because we really, um, you know, we realise that we're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, really, in that slot mm. at 11 p.m. I mean, that's where you know we. That's what that's the stuff. When me and Aiden were in school, we used to watch all that stuff. You know, the Evelyn O'Clock Show, The Word. Mm. Um, you know, that, I mean, you were probably about four years old when The Word came out, <laughs> weren't you, Femi? Do you I'm even not, know what The Word was? Uh, you don't, do you? Never heard of it. I'm for 28. I'm not that much younger than you. Oh my God, you are. You're so much younger than us. Yeah, you're three uh, years younger than us. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he's only two years younger than us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm 29. Okay, FYI. <laughs> uh, but no, we've got some amazing new talent on the show, and uh, hopefully, in these drudgery times of Brexit and shit, mm. it can give you a bit of a bloody laugh. But yeah, we're going to be t- switching topic, actually. Uh, we're going Today we're going to be talking about mental health and online propaganda. Mm. Uh, so if anybody wants to take part in the conversation, the floor is yours, so call us on yeah. 033 uh, And you can tweet at, at FUBAR Radio, so let us know what you think. Now, what do you guys think needs to change regarding on- online propaganda? I think that, I think, do you want to start this with Cambridge Analytica vibes? Propaganda or news? Because it's the same thing now, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, um, yeah, it's fake news. Um, yeah. So, literally everything mm. is. This really triggers me, you know, Femi. Mm. Can I tell you why? Mm. I'm going to try and not get triggered mid conversation. Mm. But two articles recently. Um, one about um, a university supposedly banning clapping. Okay, <laughs> and the Daily Mail yeah, I heard about losing this. its mind yeah. over it. And then another article about um, Iceland being banned from putting on a, uh, a, a, a an advert to save the orangutans on international on national television. Right. Mm. You read both of those articles and you immediately like, oh my God, this is so stupid. Mm. Then you do a little bit more reading and you realise that the university has only banned cap- clapping because severely aspergic people who are students at the university find it very difficult to deal with and they mm. can have absolute episodes over yeah. it and it's really intense for them. Mm. Totally rational thing to do. Yeah. Then you read about the... Um, the supposed banning by Clearcast, which isn't the organisation that banned the advert. That's the Advertising Standard Agency. And the reason they ban political ads is because as soon as you unbottle that genie, then what do you think you're going to have? Loads of adverts for orangutans on the, on the TV? Or lots of, <laughs> lots, or lots of a- adverts by uh, banks and the Koch brothers telling you that Brexit is a fantastic idea and we should all burn <laughs> more fossil fuels? That is what happens. But people get so triggered by things they don't fully understand and go on these huge tirades. You know, I'm just going to finish this rant. <laughs> by saying that in the Spanish Civil War, 10,000 Brits went out to fight against, uh, you know, authoritarian rule of General Franco. OK, mm. it was demo- forces of democracy versus the forces of evil. Nowadays, people go onto Twitter armed with hashtags and killer memes and they bravely tweet at people that they slightly disagree with and try to ruin their lives and bring them down. <laughs> and it's just so pathetic and it really annoys me. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of, I suppose, I'm going to take this back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're living in an age of journalism. 
and an age of clickbait mm. where newspaper editors say to journalists, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to employ you enough more unless you're getting more click-throughs yep. and your articles are being shared more. So what you now have, uh, which you've always had, it's been 150 years of commercial journalism, but what you have now is an imperative on rational, sane journalists mm. to create the most outrageous headline possible mm. in order to further their own career. There's an amazing podcast I'd recommend to anyone called The Business of Internet Outrage, which is on one of my favorite podcasts, The Daily, which is the New York Times podcast. Mm. And they speak to a couple in Pennsylvania, and all they did was repackage stories that already existed. So it was like, literally, if it was a story about Hillary Clinton, it's suddenly like, Hillary, um, uh, you know, Hillary Muslim shame, click, you know, click through. And, and all they literally were doing he said he's you know he was like looking at cnn he was looking at new york times he was copy and pasting it and then he was repackaging it and he was making a huge amount of money and he made a really good point which is like we say we don't want outrage but mm. as hayden's rant about ranting just showed mm. we quite like it yeah. we like it in our dramas we like it in uh, our, our, our sort of daily sort of chat with each other the idea that news was ever dispassionate is wrong mm. but now what we have is a reality where it's actively fucking encouraged it's needed for the, yeah. for, for the, to, to make the dollar dollar bills well I mean you've got especially with Twitter I mean it runs on headlines it mm. doesn't run on people having read the article that the headlines associated with it runs on can I post an, an, a really really out there headline with whatever caption I want to put on it so I can get as many retweets as possible, mm. which means that it doesn't really matter what's be behind the story because it's just about making sure that you can get the clicks. And so journalists want clicks, tweeters want clicks, and it's just a repetitive cycle that creates really, really outrageous news. Yeah. And I think people have a real misconception as to how effective their, their tweets are. Mm. I like to imagine, you know, when the, you know, when the whole bring back our girls thing happened, mm. you know, in Nigeria, yeah. people were doing hashtag bring back our girls. I was just imagining a scene in, uh, in northern Nigeria where Boko yeah. Haram got, yeah. the, got the jihadi troops together. It was like, guys, Lena Dunham's just tweeted. <laughs> Jihadis, jihad's off for the week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, people, people think all your the only people you're speaking to are your immediate circle, people that already agree with you. I make it a point to tweet, you know, to to, to basically critique the left on my t when I tweet, which is really as much as possible because I know they're the only people listening. Yeah, and I don't want to just reinforce their, you know. But I kind of have that problem as well because I mean, half of what I do is tweeting at remainers to keep them from saying outrageous stuff, like basically calling all Brexiters racist right. or saying the all stupid Hang because on. are not all Brexiters racist. Yeah, not, not, apparently not. When most, you actually, most, when most. you actually go and, and speak to people around the country who voted to leave, they turn out to be actual normal well, human I'm, beings. I'm, so people yeah. who vote to leave aren't just online. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're totally right. I mean, I think you're 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 good to do that because that really undermines the Remain movement, doesn't it? When people start saying stuff like that, it really. Yeah, the thing is, yeah. what yeah. you've done in a way, is, Femme, mm. is like you've sort of Nigel Farage, Nigel Farage, <laughs> is you've kind of like hacked, like he, well, Boris Johnson, Donald. Trump, Nigel Farage, or a certain breed of politician yeah. that understood that you didn't need a press conference anymore. You could just say something outrageous on Twitter, steal the news cycle, mm. and basically become the story. Yeah. And because you're you're already writing, oh my god, Donald Trump's just written this outrageous thing. Well, then you've just that that's now part of the, the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It is the conversation. And what you've done is very cleverly is you've utilised those tactics for the left. Mm. Now I think we both feel actually I don't want to speak. I'm genuinely interested in what you think. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like it's never gonna it's never gonna go back. So really. I feel like rationality is dead. You've got to accept that and you've got to make really emotive arguments. You know, like if, 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 if Brexit, you know, happens, mm. um, there'll be no more what's it. 
well, that's I mean, ban, that, 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 all that, ban that is the sex. main issue with Brexit. Everyone knows that. Well, I mean, it, everyone knows it's the main issue. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous that no one's talked about it more. No, what's it? I'm not sure if you do have to. I think you need to get really radical about being really sort of moderate and fact-based. We need to have the movement for moderate, tolerant, very relaxed jihad. Um, we all or nicest, yes. if, if you will. And, and we need to, um, you know, get really extreme about about having our facts correct. And, nice, um, yeah. you know. And um, if you are if you are actually a radical, mm. you're obviously still welcome to join nicest. Because we're very tolerant. I, I'd, I'd quite like to join nice. It yeah. sounds it's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> being being real for a second, if we are talking about you know that genuinely, how do you deal with fake news and internet outrage and everything like that? You basically have to end capitalism because it's making so many people <laughs> so much money. It's driven by the profit motive. If 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 in individual news organisations mm. weren't basically just in this attention economy trying to grab yeah. as lit as much as you can the BBC do it all the time you know you won't believe what happens after this you won't believe what happens next yeah. so Femi but you, you know? just Femi does exactly the opposite of this you go out with your microphone you speak mm. to people about the facts mm. and you make them look stupid when they don't know the facts well I mean and that's still important right You're my still... aim isn't always to make them look stupid yes it is that's what occasionally you want occasionally if they are particularly <laughs> abrasive yeah. I do have a bit of fun at their expense but the main issue is basically pointing out asking them questions until yeah. the narrative that they've been fed by um, your Boris Johnson's your Nigel Farage simply falls apart in their hands and they realise that there will be no watsits after Brexit that's, that's the ma- a, a, again that's, that's, that's the main thing and, and, ba- and watsits are essential because we need somebody to keep Donald Trump his, his colour and the thing is <laughs> hey <laughs> um, and quite simply we, the issue is actually getting the facts out there so it is it is to an extent the emotional argument but it's also countering complete emotion with, with facts and they sh- the reason why it's been so bubbly is because people stay in their own little echo chambers and one of the reasons why I started Twitter about I think I started Twitter you started Twitter that's amazing well done I'm an innovator let's just say um, uh, I got on Twitter like uh, start of 2016 and I was on Facebook before and there was just no point talking about Brexit there because after a certain while after my fifth post or so I realised everyone agrees with me yeah. there is no point in this I'm just talking to myself and that's the reason why nobody expected um, uh, the Brexit vote because everybody thought yeah. everyone I know wants to remain so clearly the entire country wants to remain mm. to be fair Haid actually did actually think it was going to happen didn't you did I? I don't know. I thought you. I mean, I, I think we. But well, we you both followed by Brexiteers. Trump. You followed by Brexiteers. Do you get in a lot of arguments with Brexiteers on yeah. Twitter? Do you feel like it works? Um, well, does it convince me? Does it, no. Do you manage to convince them um, in a 280 characters? Occasionally, it, do, it doesn't happen all the time. But I do get occasional people that come to me and say, "I was like this," or "Now mm. I think this should be people's vote," or at the very least, "I'm not getting the Brexit I voted for." Whether or not they become ultra Europhiles afterwards is nah, not really what's happening. But do you know the thing that scares me genuinely about what's going on at the minute is how normalised things are. Like, I don't know if you've been following this story about Jamal mm. and uh, you know the, the issue that you know there's this he, you know who was bullied, and I put something out basically being like. You know, as a bullied kid myself, um, obviously that kid will be will be punished. I thought that was you know patently obvious. But mm. talking about the, the Express, you know, the Mail, the Sun, Farage, Hopkins, and the like, and Tommy Robinson as well. And I was so shocked how many people were like, "Yeah, but what about the grooming gangs in mm. Rotherham?" And I was like, "Look, man, if you are going to basically just be a fucking open racist, right? Just be an open racist. I have no problem 
with grooming gangs, no matter what race or creed they are, being prosecuted by police. And they were terrified of yeah. prosecuting them because they didn't want to be seen to be racist. Yeah. But, like, Tommy Robinson, for instance, like now, who's claiming all sorts of things about, you know, Jamal himself, yeah. his sister and everything like Which that. Which have been disproven. Sure, but the nor it's the normalisation of the noise, right? Mm. I mean, like, Donald Trump is the classic example of someone who... Is just so no, it's it's so normal now. His antics, mm. you know, that that I sort of wonder if he's just totally Teflon. I mean, do you think? What do you guys think? What, do you think the military investigation is going to actually do anything to him? Basically, what Donald Trump has done, he's got the bed of nails protection. If you if, if you if you if you lie on one sharp nail, it will it will stab you. Whereas if you lie on a bed of nails, nothing will hurt you because it's all spread out. If Donald Trump only did one outrageous thing in his entire presidency, that one one outrageous thing would probably take him down. But the fact that he consistently does outrageous things means he's protected because nobody expects anything of him mm. but here we are we are um, about to bring in our, in our, in our guests um, Gavin Haynes and Natasha Devon um, so tune in Bar Radio presents we have author Anthony Horowitz is in the studio. There was a series of books by Caroline Graham. They were called Agatha Christie on Acid. They were terrific thrillers. Okay. And somebody came to me and said, will you do a TV series based on these books? We're going to call it Barnaby. And Barnaby, of course, is the name of the detective mm -hmm. in there. And yeah. I said, mm -hmm. I read the book, and I saw a couple of the books. I said, look, the hero here is not the detective. It's the place. That's what this is all about. Call it Midsummer Murders. So I did actually put those two words together. And then when it came to writing the original first seven double episodes, because they were two hours long, I sort of crafted the show as well. Okay. Which, you know, wow. So I do get a sort of accreted by in small letters every Monday Ian Boltzworth from 2pm FUBAR Radio now at this point some folk uh, might be uncomfortable in fact I will be uncomfortable with the graphic language that I'm about to use but I'm not going to dilute the reality for such an important issue now I'm, I'm used to the, the abuse online in particular I'm regularly called a, a wee boy I'm told that I wear my dad's suits and stuff you know me me and my pals actually laugh about it that's how I cope about it we find the best insults and that's how we have a laugh but I struggle to see any joke in being systematically called a dyke a rug muncher a slut a whore a scruffy bint I've been told that you can't put lipstick on a pig let the dirty bitch eat shit and die I could soften some of this by talking about the C word, but the reality is there is no softening when you're targeted with these words and I'm left reading them on my screen every day, day in, day out. She needs a kick in the cunt, guttural cunt, ugly cunt, wee animal cunt. There is no softening just how sexualised and misogynistic the abuse is. I've got a comment from some guy, William Hanna, never heard of him in my life. I've pumped some ugly birds in my time, but I just wouldn't. I've been assured multiple times that I don't have to worry because I am so ugly that no one would want to rape me. That was Mary Black, one of the first time, well, the first time that anybody, that was Mary Black, one of the first times that anybody in, uh, in Parliament has ever used the word, the C word. Um, and that's because of the online abuse that she's received. It's frankly disgraceful in my in my opinion. But here to discuss the effects that these sorts of things have on people, especially regarding online um, online propaganda, especially regarding mental health, we have Gavin Haynes from uh, from uh, Vice News, and we have Natasha Devon, uh, who's a mental health camp campaigner. Welcome to the studio. Hi, Hello. Thank you. 
So what what yeah. do you what do you think needs to change regarding um, <laughs> regarding online online abuse? Because what you just heard there was just directed at a politician, which the people that send it might have mm. opposing views. Do you think that gives them the right to say whatever they like to people? Well, I think what's really interesting when you look at um, kind of gendered psychology, mm. most women, not all, but most women have um, a pretty straightforward body image shame trigger, mm. and on some kind of unconscious level, we know that. So what tends to happen is if a woman sticks her head above the parapet or says something controversial she is tried to shame into silence by drawing attention to her sexuality mm. um, to her shagability to her attractiveness yeah. so that's why you know I talk about mental health and education neither of which has anything to do with what I look like and every time I go on telly and say something controversial I have queues of men on social media lining up to tell me that they don't want to have sex with me and it's always confusing because it was never on offer <laughs> but, but, now, but now I understand the psychology behind it it, mm. it makes sense to me why that's happening oh yeah I mean I, I, I one of the people I follow on Instagram recently pointed out that for men especially online having different characteristics being both intelligent and attractive those are both pluses whereas with a woman if she's both intelligent being attractive also acts as a negative I mean mm. a plus becomes a negative she can be attractive or she can be um, uh, or she can be intelligent and they actually cancel each other out in, in the public discourse and it gets used against them and it's ridiculous uh, the Madonna whore paradigm I think is still very much alive and well in, mm. in our culture and if you want proof of that look no further than the Me Too movement when mm. you've got sort of classically attractive Hollywood actresses not being believed because they're sexy and mm. we can't wrap our heads around the idea of a mm. woman being sexy and morally good at the same time. Yeah, yeah. President, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Um, Trump. And, and, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Trump is an absolute heartthrob. I, I, I see him and get titillated every time. Um, that orangey leather skin just... Mm. Um, oh, God, why did I just say that? Um, uh, I was actually thinking about the Canadian Prime Minister because um, uh, he's allowed to be able to... He's allowed to be um, both hot and mm. a great leader, whereas mm. for a woman, it's somehow seen as, oh, we can't compute that she's both intelligent and and um, and attractive Gavin Haynes what, what you you what you operate on, on vice news how much in the comment section of vice news do you tend to get a lot of pretty abusive stuff well there isn't a comment section uh, they deleted it about sort of three or four years ago in a, in a great redesign I guess getting just too much negativity and I think you know a lot of media organizations have, have found that that they couldn't really um, sort of monitor this thing into a, a form that that felt like it was adding anything so uh, this is a great sort of purge three or four years ago oh wow so that means that you saw that there was a problem in terms of the harmful nature of the rhetoric being used on your platform and and and, Viet, and vice news then decided that in order to basically protect the people involved in it they would actually well remove that platform well, I don't know about harmful. Um, it was more just that you know people were criticising the brand. It was, it was just a, you know, a terrible place to kind of. You know, we've written all this stuff for you, and here are people saying it's it's shit. It's awful. Well, I mean, okay, I, I, that was my little plug segue into the notion that say that like you've got Facebook who allows horrendous stuff to be put on on their platform with well very little monitoring, and then you have elections getting swayed and I mean one of the things that I found quite interesting about the Trump campaign was that at the time of the of the Hillary Clinton Trump campaign the bots that were created weren't just on the Trump side they were also on the left side because if you have bots that are claiming to be Black Lives Matter and they're saying kill all the police burn them like bacon 
then you create a very toxic environment. You portray one side as being something that it's not, and you set this up. This, you set up this dichotomy whereby both sides think the other side is really, really horrendous, even worse than they actually are, mm. and it just further polarizes the thing and splits the country. Mm. I think there's a there's a really sort of interesting parallel between you know what you're talking about the the political rhetoric and mm. the, and the sort of uh, you know what was uh, being said earlier by Natasha about you know the horror Madonna thing. Mm. You know there is there is this kind of bizarre polarization generally in everything now. Mm. You know Charlie Brooker I think put it best when he said he said the internet used to be like meh. <laughs> and now it's and now it's just outrage. Just mm. Yeah, but why do people go on Twitter? I always find this. Uh, Mary Black, I love, but I find this very confusing. People are. I went on the hate haiku website the other day, Twitter, <laughs> and people were hateful towards me. <laughs> what the fuck do you expect? Like um, Carol Cordwaller, who I really yeah. respect as a journalist, wrote a whole article the other day about how. Um, uh, um, James O'Neill, what's his name? Andrew O'Neill. Andrew O'Neill. Mm. Um, had called her a cat lady mm. and like okay it's a bit mean but come on what like a whole article about how someone was a bit mean because she called you a cat lady like mm. this isn't important stuff I think, <laughs> I what, is I, it? I think what, what is important though just, is what, what, what Natasha was saying earlier which is just like if you're a woman and you go on telly you're basically just told basically if someone wants to fuck you or not mm. and it is like it's so basic <laughs> it's just fucked yeah. up like it's mm. just like it's and it is the nature of of you know misogyny the core nature of misogyny mm. the fear of a woman the fear of that female uh, you know perspective emanating through sort of the corridors of you know all of all of our lives which mm. is so healthy I'm, I'm fascinated to know like what, what what have you found like in your research about it like what have you what where does it come from that psychology you're talking about well it's it, what's really interesting is the more information you have the more you want to apply a simple narrative to it because mm -hmm. it's a comfort thing so yeah. I think when social media was first in Invented, we thought this would be a fabulous tool because it would give everyone a voice and we would understand multiple perspectives. But what it actually did was it overwhelmed us. And that's why everything's become so polarized because people want um, simplicity, ultimately. Mm. You, you know, we're, we're, the, the world is a very terrifying place. If you, if you consider everything, it becomes too overwhelming. So that's why I think we, we pick a person and we stick with them regardless. There's no room for nuance. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, like, for example, for me, um, I, I'm a big fan of some things that Jeremy Corbyn says <laughs> but I find that you know the people who are these kind of hardcore Corbynistas are not that different from the, the Trump supporters or the yeah. UKIP supporters the, the, the kind of dogged yeah one dimensional thinking but it's because they need to believe that he is their saviour mm. and anything outside of that is just going to confuse them too much yeah and I, I think one of the things that you have to do is you have to call out your own side as much as you call out the other side because otherwise mm. you are just being dogmatic and it becomes mm. it becomes cultish and I mean one of the things that I complain I often said regarding the Trump era that the left specifically has got to call out what is okay as much as it calls out what isn't okay because otherwise we will not survive the Trump era. Mm. Every time we, we allow somebody to say that, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, even though it's actually not that bad, we allow the other side to basically say, well, you guys are all snowflakes who get annoyed at pretty much everything. Mm. I mean, I remember um, I went on Gay Pride a couple of years ago and I was literally wearing a rainbow t-shirt uh, and I, got, I ended up in a, in a gay magazine. 
And I made a Facebook post that said, um, because I was in the gay magazine, I said, all right, I guess I'll be single for a while. And I, ha I had a friend that said I was normalizing homophobia with that post. I was literally at gay pride. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think, I, yeah. think that, I think the left has to, has to recognize that some, making a joke about an issue does not equate to actually making, like... Finding enemies, not converts, yeah. which the right is really good at finding converts, right? Mm -hmm. And the left just wants to... Like, half of these discussions that people are having online, like, sorry, like, a massive support of the trans movement, but I get so confused by the divisions within that debate about who's a turf, who's this, who's that. Mm. It's harder to understand than, like, the Sunni-Shiite thing. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck is the difference between all these people genuinely seem to m agree on 99% of things? Mm. We should all have, you know, civil rights guaranteed. We should all be able to marry and love who we want. But, like... We're like, obsessing over minor differences when we should be focusing on the fact that the world's going to burn in 12 years' time. <laughs> but if, if you're confused by what a turf is, it's essentially the feminist equivalent of UKIP. Right. It's, it's, it's mainly sort of, it's like middle-class white women who are, most of them are gay, but they're like, we're okay, we've got our rights, we're pulling up the drawbridge, mm. the rest of you can all fuck off. That's, that's yeah. the definition. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that, um, I just think there's much more common ground than you would, yeah. than they would have, than people would have you believe if you were just to read the arguments on Twitter. There's so much more that they could agree on. I think you know, what Hayden's saying is We need, we need a summer important. of love again. What yeah. happened to that? It's like the summer of hate the last <laughs> two But also what Hayden just said there about, like, uh, we're all sort of, uh, we need to sort of unite, we need to coalesce, because mm. ultimately the biggest threat that we face is the biggest problem in the world that no one wants to face with the climate change reality. Mm. And I thought you were going to say what's it's okay. No, I'm done with the what's it's joke. It's done. Um, but but I genuinely think that what you said about you know us needing to simplify things is like really profound because if you think about how huge the issues are that we're facing, mm. it's absolutely terrifying. So actually, it's a lot easier to kind of get sort of I guess worked out about no one respecting your isms, mm. you know, and then it is to say, how do we deal with some of this? Well I mean one of the things that I is I is missing from these debates is a recognition of the fact that the reason why we're so passionate about um, whether or not it's Trump or Hillary or whether or not it's Brexit or Remain is because we all care deeply about the future of our country. If we start from that position, mm, we then yeah. know that we all have the same aim and it stops becoming yeah. this person is trying to destroy my country. No, it's this person is trying to protect the country. We simply disagree on how to do it. Mm. I, think, I, think that's the, I think that's the main problem. And I think it's, it's generally people who are... It's so funny we live we all like agree that we live in this post truth era but we're all more doubly extra convinced about all of our opinions all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's this weird paradox. And actually it's not really people's opinions that are the problem. It's more that. It's more how to get there. Yeah. And people seem to have the best thing that could possibly happen is if nobody did anything. <laughs> It's people trying to do things that's causing a <laughs> fucking problem. Do you know what I mean? B bloody human existence <laughs> getting in the way of progress. <laughs> Government should just get into power and then do nothing. <laughs> Everything would be fine. There was a super famous day, I think it was in the 1930s, uh, where the BBC News just literally went, and today... Nothing, Nothing has happened. happened. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so wonderful, wouldn't it? Please bring that day back. It's like the, the Belgians didn't have a government for 18 months, did they? Exactly, and and yeah. GDP went up. I think that's generally like the yeah. way things wow. turn out. They just sort of leave things to the market. I don't, I don't know whether anyone in this room knows, but I, I was very briefly the government's mental health star. I, I, wow. I lasted nine months. That's how long it takes to grow a baby and okay. become completely disillusioned with the political system in this country. <laughs> but what, what I discovered, because after... I, 
I was fired for uh, criticizing education policy, which was outside my remit, apparently. Mm. Um, and I did a freedom of information request. And genuinely, I could give that to you as a script and say, I've written this as satire, mm. and you would believe me. Yeah. And what well, str- struck me was just the incompetence. So it, like one of the emails read, um, obviously we don't want to get rid of her when it looks like we're doing it because she criticizes, but equally, um, it cannot be conceivable that she continues when she criticizes. And I'm like, that's the thick of it, right there. Right? And I'm like, that terrified me, because I'm like, be evil, fine. But evil and incompetent. That's a toxic mix. Yeah. You know? We talk quite a lot about this, which is like whether actually people want to see that as comedy anymore. Because, mm. you know, when we started doing our shows, I guess it was sort of 2012, you know, Clegg and Cameron, mm. Ed Miller band, those lovely old days <laughs> where things were quite bland. Yeah. You know, and, and that was kind of fun. It was kind of fun taking the piss out of what's going on. But it feels now like it's very hard to like find Charlottesville in any way funny. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's very hard to kind of... Because uh, mm-hmm. the other thing I'm really interested in is, because you're so pro-European, yeah. it, it, well, you're not yeah. utterly pro-European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See the thing about one in four Europeans being a populist now? And, mm, and I yeah. saw that, uh, there's this wonderful um, sort of piece by, uh, you know... Um, it's more than that, isn't it? It's, it's like, I think in 1990, um, 80% of the population were voting for pop- mainstream, mainstream parties, and now it's... Forty-three percent of the of the country, most countries, definitely this is Germany. I think voting for either far right or far left parties, and and something like forty percent voting for mainstream parties. Maybe that's because of what we were saying, though. That they they just it's just as simple as offering easy answers, Mm. like there'll be no more WhatsApps. Yeah, yeah. So you know, don't vote for Brexit. Yeah, we have to work out how to make. Your stuff super sexy. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, let's well, brainstorm. Are, are you, let's are brainstorm. Are you saying I'm not sexy? No, I just realized as I said that, I came out. Like, <laughs> Hayden <laughs> Prowse tells me it's not sexy. <laughs> Facts are not sexy. I really miss Nick Clegg. Yeah. Uh, he'll be on Facebook soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 from MySpace to Facebook now. <laughs> oh, MySpace. But I mean, we have to do something about the way we talk to each other because, as I said, if you, t- if you treat someone like the actual enemy, if you treat them like they're trying to destroy the country, you get just the most horrendous abuse online. Mm. I mean, for me, abuse is about once every minute. Uh, racial abuse is every day, two days. Mm. Threats of violence is every two, three months. Mm. And then in February, somebody posted my home address online. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and given what happened with Joe Cox, given yeah. that we, given the high profile of the campaign, given that I'm black, not exactly a great combination if my home address is online, especially given... <laughs> not yeah, perfect, no. Not, 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 not exactly. Mm. Um, and how do you deal with that i mean do, do we now do we now accept it as the norm that if somebody gets into politics that they should be expected to put up with this sort of yeah i yeah, yeah. What, what is your comeback when someone posts your address online is there any legal recourse to that uh i was on the i was on hold with the met police for 40 minutes until i thought all right this isn't gonna work mm. um it is illegal you're not allowed to do that are you there you go. Yeah. I've had a troll for years, and I, I, I found the most shocking thing about it is the lack of ability of you know any any organisation to really take control of that stuff. It's 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 what? it's slightly terrifying, really. I mean, I, I reported it to Twitter, but I mean, what was I going to do? Share the screenshot of somebody posting my home address? Should have really called Nick Clegg, <laughs> personally, <laughs> give him a call, just say, "Listen, mate, you know, I really but loved I, your work I in the coalition." <laughs> I, th- I think you are making an Im- important point, and like Joel and I both have been in the business of. <laughs> of 
making MPs look stupid and you know business leaders look stupid for the past sort of you know six seven years. But I actually I feel more and more uncomfortable with that and doing that because I don't feel like it's really adding to the debate. Like that's what everybody is doing right mm. now. Everybody wants someone else to blame. I just think the smartest thing you can, I mean, for us as satirists, the smartest thing that, or the most constructive thing that I could do now would be to create some kind of movement or create some kind of show that brought people together and made people mm. find the, the, mm. the common ground. I think mm. that's something that there's a real... Well, I mean, one, one, of the things, one of the things that I, I keep saying is that imagine if all the energy we're putting into Brexit right now is focused on mm. the causes of Brexit, like mm. the NHS, yeah. housing, education. Or imagine if instead of uh, a massive Brexit project, we were mm. focusing exclusively on the NHS, something that everybody agrees can, needs to get better. And if we would focus all the energy we've done over the past two years on how to make the NHS better... I mean, we'd, we'd all be on the same side. But, but isn't the truth, really, that fundamentally you've got forces of free market capital mm. that want to deregulate this country, mm. make it the biggest tax haven that's ever existed, mm. slash uh, the ability for corporations to really have any mandatory rights for workers, mm. and then also basically have a bonfire of what we have left of our public services? You know, the NHS, I think, behind the Chinese government, is the biggest single employer in the world. Mm. And I found a fascinating fact out about the NHS, and I think that people don't talk about stuff like this enough. So so if you own America and you have the best p possible insurance, yep. uh, a lot of the cancer drugs, the best cancer drugs, actually aren't available to you. Whereas the NHS is incredible because when they negotiate with a big pharmaceutical company, they say, look, we're going to be block buying this many drugs mm. in a way that no other healthcare provider does. Mm. So we actually get an awful lot of treatments. There's an, our friend Jess Mills, who's uh, Tessa Jow's daughter, yeah. um, has done a huge amount about trying to make oncology uh, and, and, and the treatment of cancer in this country one of, one of our best sort of exports, which is fantastic. And it is still a bit of a postcode lottery. But speaking in general terms, you know, that is an incredible facility that, that, that the NHS sort of provides us by being able to negotiate with these yeah. pharmaceutical companies but like you say you know these it. are not the thing yeah these are not these but are not the things we talk about i think that relates to what we were talking about earlier about the binary thing because with all uh, kind of public sector workers so you know firefighters uh, police officers teachers mm. nhs workers that they're, they're presented either as heroes or villains so we're totally. either giving them a pride of britain award or mm. we're telling them that they're lazy um in, you know in the tabloid press and i think if we took more of a neutral view of going yes this these industries disproportionately attract people who aren't in it for the money they're good people who want to make a difference mm. but ultimately they're still human and occasionally they fuck up then we would have much more of an appreciation of institutions like the, the NHS. Do you know what? Uh, you know, there's no one in, in France almost on Twitter. You know that. And I was thinking about this the other day because in France, they would not put up with this shit. They would, <laughs> did you see the fucking riots the other day? Did you see that? They, yeah. Someone took a digger and poured manure over, <laughs> over the gate of the lycée and all these oh, French people like, wait, wait, wait! <laughs> like thousands of angry French people. And like they would not stand for the shit that's going on in this country. It's yeah. so true. Like I was, well, and it's because none of them are on Twitter. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. all like picking up cobblestones. Yeah, but France would riot if it rained. Well, I love that. You know, I was in I was in Cannes at this um at this kind of fucking like it's like an advertising kind of award. The Cannes Film Awards. No, no, not the Cannes <laughs> Film Awards. The, 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 it was called the Cannes Lions. But anyway, w there was a taxi strike, and you know, an Uber kind of like had their strike here. Or, or sorry, uh, the, the 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 black taxi drivers. What mm. we did over here was we're in a circle. Black cabs drove around. 
Trafalgar Square advertising Uber. When the French did it, they burned fucking tyres in every motorway <laughs> exit so you couldn't get off the motorway. Dude, burning tyres. Like, they don't care. Do you think that's because they, re- they actually had a revolution? Yeah. They had a revolution quite recently in 68, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. I mean, do you think that's why, though? Uh, well, they're definitely more revolutionary than mm. us. We didn't have a revolution. We had reform, like, you know, 50 years later. We, we, we've always been the sort of slightly staid, slightly more rational sort of, uh, you know... Slightly less sexy. Slightly less sexy <laughs> country. But now we seem to be the revolutionaries with Brexit. Well, yeah, but now I mean, we seem to be the ones that are... One of my favourite things with France was that um, the police went on strike about... <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was about five years ago because they were being banned from drinking on the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> it is an outrage. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so does anybody else have kind of, um, uh, I was going to say revolution fatigue, but that's not really what I mean. But, you know, like the Women's March, for example. Yeah. What did that achieve in, in the long term? And I just think if that many people mobilising mm. and taking to the streets is not enough to make the people in power sit up. But I think, it, yes, in the, immediate, in the immediate aftermath, it didn't do a lot. But I think with, well, not necessarily the blue wave, but given the recent midterms in, in America, and you saw a record number of uh, women and, and, people of, and people of ethnic minorities getting into, getting into, uh, into the Senate and the, and the House, I think it did do a bit. At least femme, people- femme, let's be real, man. Let's not get it twisted. It wasn't a blue wave. Right? Was, the was, Senate was it, retained, and every state that Donald Trump campaigned mm-hmm. in, he won. Right, okay. he went every single state, mm. and the legislative reality is that the Senate will make more and more conservative decisions for the judiciary, pushing back, you know, abortion rights. One of the scariest. We were we were filming in America a couple mm. of years ago, and I and I went to one of the things called the Holocaust of the Unborn, where basically mm. a load of Hispanic women were brought up on a stage outside an abortion clinic that had already been closed. And I think it was and a terrible lolathon. Mm. It was a bloody lolathon. Mm. It was the most depressing thing I've ever seen. There were something like I think forty six abortion clinics in Texas. In, in, in 2000 now there's like six you know and it's yeah. like it is important to, to sort of like just like we've been saying about you know our bubbles and stuff like that for us to really look at this because I think what you were saying about the women's march it highlights the key thing if people Instagram something or go to one march that does not bring legislative change mm. and legislative change is fucking boring turgid yeah. difficult and long winded process um, which you can't do in 140 characters can you hate no, but 280 you can. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, social me- social media has very much changed the way we speak to each other. But I mean, do I mean, especially with the Brexit vote, you saw there was that age divide. Do you reckon that there's a difference between the way in which older people interact with social media and the way young people interact with it? Do we see different things? Are, are we as influenced by? I mean, my mum uses uh, an interesting string of emojis sometimes. <laughs> I don't really understand what they mean. Yeah, she. Yeah, my, my mum doesn't understand what social what uh, emojis mean either. <laughs> but I, really I, th- I think it's really reductive to present it as um, younger people are more liberal and and vice versa. Because mm. in fact, it, you know, m- the bulk of my work is in schools. That's what I go into about three or four schools a, a mm. week all over the UK. And there was a and continues to be a swathe of predominantly young men who I would say have been radicalised into the alt right through mm. YouTube. Mm. And it's normally oh, yeah. something like you know their yeah. parents are big fans of the Daily Mail, so that's the algorithm algorithm that's on uh, you know on their mm. pc and so they end up reading breitbart and, yeah. and and you know when milo yiannopoulos was stomping around the internet everywhere there, there were young men that i met who were so enamored of him. what were they like? like what's their vibe i'm so fascinated they they were very um i would describe them as 
twitchy and angry. Um, uh, so uh, I would walk in and they, and they would say to me, are you a feminist? <laughs> like that. I've really? like, to talk to you about mental health. But yeah, we can talk about feminism if you want. Um, and then, the, you know, if I'd say, is there any questions at the end of the talk, it would be... Um, I, I saw on, online that you met Milo. What's he like? What's he like? Mm. Um, and I said, well, I, I think he's a narcissist with mummy issues. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to know? Um, and um, then they, they were very kind of, you know, do you not agree? Even though yeah, I'm trying to talk to them about the universal things that are, are not politicized, like how to deal with stress. And then they'd be like, do you not agree that, you know, in, in real terms, there's no such thing as a pay gap? Wow. And I'm like, I don't know how you... How you deal with that? Do you know? Really? The, have you read a lot about this this uh, stuff about YouTube, the Great Radicalizer, because of the algorithm, which is forcing people further and further down these these rabbit holes? I think it's fascinating yeah. that you've got an algorithm that is radicalizing people. There was a guy I went to talk of a guy who was an ex Google employee that said that when you know DeepMind, which was the company that was bought by Google um, and then created the the, the um, computer that beat the first human at Go, which yeah. is the most complex game on earth. And so this computer obviously just kicks human ass yeah. all day, every day, <laughs> right? The first job it was given after it beat the first human at Go was making YouTube videos more addictive. Mm. You cannot beat this thing. You're going to lose. And it's sending people down these weird sort wow. of money, Annapolis, Breitbart. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I read something literally yesterday that gives me faith in humanity, which is even though these robots are coming and the algorithms are coming for us, there is literally not w the most advanced robot in the world can't pick a strawberry. <laughs> it can't do it. People, it literally yeah. do can't know, do it. When the robots take over, it's going to be the self-checkout machines. <laughs> everyone, everyone thinks it's going to be like Terminators, but, <laughs> but it's going to be like unidentified item in your bargaining area, and then it's, give me your shoes, your boots, your motorcycle. Are you telling us that the unexpected item in the bagging area is going to herald the end of humanity? Yeah. Oh, it won't be climate change, it won't be it will obesity. Be like the, the, the rise of the self-checkout machines that are going wow. to just, just exterminate us. <laughs> Gavin, Gavin, as somebody who actually works for an online, online platform, yes. what do you think needs to be done to combat the narratives that are just so devoid of facts? So one of the problems regarding fake news is that it isn't necessarily about lies being told, it's about the balance of information that might show more of one thing, that might show that it's this particular group of people that are responsible for this problem. How do you combat that to make sure that you get that even-handed message? Um, I don't know if there is a solution in the modern era. I mean, I think we're all just balkanizing endlessly. And, I mean, you know, YouTube is almost like a kind of that sort of radicalized version. It is is a flip side to um, what some would see as like a progressive narrative that has kind of gone out of control, that has moved past its, its remit and, you know, increasingly all sorts of um, media organizations uh, from... Vice to the uh, independent, whatever, um, to, you know, Breitbart, are just sort of siloing down. Um, and we're seeing a sort of balkanisation of social media now with yeah. the rise of things like Gab, etc. Um, there was a sort of a, a left-wing version recently. I can't quite remember what that was called. But, you know, it's it, where are we going to be in five or ten years' time? I just don't know. So it seems like each in individual outlet is choosing their own side and just, and just basically sticking with that and not really trying to bridge the divide. Mm. Yeah. Isn't, isn't there a kind of big... I mean... I'm, I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of things that a lot of media organisations do uh, that aren't particularly palatable. But one that I find particularly troubling, and please uh, understand, I'm absolutely in no way. Uh, I've, I've got a lot of colleagues who work at Vice, and I think, you know, Vice does some great stuff. One of the things it doesn't do so well, like many organisations, is they do a lot of branded content. And one of their clients currently is Saudi Arabia. 
who they there was a very well-known presenter who I'm not going to talk about now uh, who came to me and said look I mean I've been asked to go to Riyadh and, and, and make some of this content and I was quite stunned but actually I shouldn't be because actually all these media organisations have brands that basically are there to enable commercial parts of their organisation so the Guardian does events mm-hmm. the Financial Times has the Financial Times business Vice has you know Vice Media and they white label a lot of stuff and the thing is that really news and 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 you know you're talking about like bridging the divide there's a lot of money now in just outrage Mm. yeah like just totally all these brands have co-opted identity politics haven't they like there's been so much of that like okay fine great that nike is 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 supporting colin kaepernick but Mm. um Maybe deal with your situation in your sweatshops in China yeah, before you jump know, on that know, bandwagon. Well, I mean, it's just it's, it's hypocrisy left, right, and centre, and it just poisons the debate. But I want to th- just to wrap up now. And it goes all the way what, to the top. What What would you say is uh, just quick thoughts from everybody? Mm-hmm. What would you say is the one thing that people need to understand about mental health that, they, that just hasn't been said in the in the, in the media so far? Um, that it's not confined to a quarter of the population. We all have mental health, just like we have physical health, and mm-hmm. it will inevitably fluctuate throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And just because you might be struggling with your mental health, it doesn't mean you have a mental illness. But in terms of the internet, you know, tying up what everyone said, the easiest emotions to evoke in people are fear and outrage. Mm. So when you've got something competing for your attention, Mm. you know, potentially that's pushing you towards anxiety and stress. Awesome. Uh, Gavin, what would you, what would you what do you think needs to change in terms of uh, making sure that you have more a more a better environment for, for the conversation online? Um, I, I think people have to inoculate themselves and, and realise that the world is statistics um, and <laughs> you know those people who are out there kind of uh, trolling you uh, as the term goes um, are just sort of the, they're an anomaly they are the, 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 the 0.5% and that's the thing the internet doesn't give you Agreed um, Jolion, Hayden you guys are going to be doing Ministry of Justice tonight at 11pm on uh, on Channel 4 I'm looking forward to that especially the designated zo- um, <laughs> mugging zones which should be fun um, <laughs> But you guys have been listening to The Floor is Yours. I'll catch you next week. See ya. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to FUBARradio.com.